I have the opportunity of wrapping up our series, Mindfield, Winning the War Within. In the series, we have been talking about that whether we know it or not, or realize it or not, there is an internal battle going on, that we are all in a war for our minds and our hearts, and that this war matters, that this war matters for now, but it also matters for eternity. We've repeated throughout this series, and we're going to put this up on the screen, that whatever controls your mind controls your decisions, your direction, and ultimately your destination. How the war for your mind goes, there your life will go. And this war is waged below the surface. We like to focus on the behaviors, the things that we can see, but but this war goes much deeper. We've used a couple of analogies. We've talked about an iceberg, that you can see 20% of an iceberg, but 80% of it is below the surface, what you can't see. We've used the analogy of a tree, that a tree has roots below the surface that must be fed. And when those roots are fed, then the shoots and the fruits produce behavior that we see. I'd like to add uh, one more analogy to the mix, if it's not confusing enough at this point. Um, This is from Paul Tripp, and and he talks about a a water bottle. And and, and the question is, uh, why did water come out of the water bottle? And the first answer might be, well, well, you shook it. That's why water came out. But, But the truth is, the real reason water came out of the water bottle is because water is in the water bottle. A Coke is not in the water bottle. Uh, unfortunately, coffee is not in the water bottle. Otherwise, this would be empty at this point. No, no water is in the water bottle. And that's why water came out. And this is true of us too. When, when life shakes us, when life squeezes us, whatever is on the inside is what is going to come out. In fact, the same situation, the same shaking, the same squeezing can happen and yet different behaviors come out. Our kids can get on our last nerve and and what can come out is anger or what can come out is patience. Uh, At work, we can get stressed and anxious and what can come out is complaining and grumbling or what can come out is thankfulness for the work that we have. See, whatever is inside of us, when we are squeezed, when we are shaken, that is what will come out. And today we are going to look at the fact that minefield, winning the war within, that this is a team war. This is not just an individual war. And we've up to this point been talking about how this is my battle and and what I need to do to win the war within. But today we are gonna talk about how this is an us war, that we are in this together. Because here's the truth. Wars are meant to be fought together. An individual battle is a duel, mano e mano, Hamilton and Burr, or maybe some famous Western duel. But a war is to be fought together. Think World War I, think World War II, think the Grace Huntington basketball game earlier this week, that Grace won. Sorry, just shout out to my other job as president of Grace there. There are sides to a war. There are teams in a war. There are groups of people in a war, interests that are battling it out. So for to win the war within, to win the war for our hearts and our minds, we must do it together. 
And so today we're going to look at the first war ever fought by the people of Israel, by the people of God. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn or tap to Exodus chapter 17, and we'll be looking at verses 8 through 13. We'll have them on the screen when we get there. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we'd love to give you a physical copy, and you can grab that out at the connection corner if you'd be interested. But before we get to our text here in Exodus 17, it's important to provide a bit of background. Uh, Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Genesis being the first, and that's where God creates the heavens and the earth, and then very quickly, all goes wrong. And here in Exodus, we see that God is revealing himself to his people. He first reveals himself to the person of Moses, and then begins revealing himself to the people of Israel. And he does this first in Egypt when he rescues them out of slavery. And then he brings them through the Red Sea, providing a way of escape, a way of salvation for them. And now they're in the desert, complaining, grumbling, idol-making. And that's where we find them in this passage, in this same desert wandering around. But for the first time, but for the first time, there is now an enemy gathered outside the camp, ready to wage war. See, up to this point, all of Israelites' battles have been with one another or with God. They've been internal struggles. But now, for the first time, they're about to wage war with an external enemy. And I think there might be a lesson here for us before we get into this. There is a very real enemy amassing outside the camp. His name is Satan. But when I look at Christian Twitter, I look at social media... I would think the biggest enemy might be one another. I mean, could it really be a revival? I mean, a true revival would have this or have that, or so-and-so would be there or so-and-so wouldn't be there. And I mean, can that person really be a Christian? They they follow that candidate or this candidate. And and you know, that church, they're all about growth, growth, growth. And you can't have growth and have Jesus. But but that church, they're they're dying and they're small and, and they must not have the gospel if they're not growing. And did you see that preacher in the sneakers that he wore? I mean, can your gospel game and your shoe game both be strong? And just like the Israelites, we spend so much time on internal battles when there's a very real enemy gathering, amassing outside the camp, ready to wage war. And so we come to Exodus 17. And here's how verses 8 through 13 read. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, this is the first time we see Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. See, the Israelites are on a journey from the Red Sea, the place of salvation, and they're headed to the promised land, the place of blessing. And wouldn't it be nice if that journey were just a short walk on the beach rather than a wandering in the desert? But no, the Christian life is not like that. 
It's not just a short walk on the beach. It's more like a wandering in the desert. The Christian life is full of battles and and we are soldiers following our savior, taking up our cross daily. Maybe your battle is the boss who doesn't like that you're a Christian or family members who don't understand the new life you're living. Friends who don't understand why you don't show up at the parties anymore. Maybe it's an internal battle like Pastor Michael talked about last week. Depression, anxiety, doubts about even if God is real. Maybe it's the sin that so easily entangles and it seems to get you every time. That reoccurring battle with anger or purity or bitterness. I'd like to share three lessons from this passage that we learn about the battle for our minds. And the first thing we see in this passage is that we must fight. We must fight. To be a Christian means to be in the fight. Regardless of how you feel about weapons or war, the spiritual battle is not one that you can opt out of. Theodore Roosevelt famous man in the arena quote, while not specifically about the Christian life, I think is applicable here. Uh, Teddy says this, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man or woman who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again, because there's no effort without error or shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause. And there is no greater battle and there is no greater war than the one with our enemy, Satan. And there is no greater victory than the one we win because of Jesus. But know this, to live the Christian life is to get in the arena. It's to be a part of the battle. There are no sideline Christians allowed. No just sitting in the stands and cheering others on. No, you must join the fight. The Amalekites mentioned here in Exodus 17 verse 8 were known for praying on the weak and those not battle tested. And the Israelites fit the description. Remember, I said this is their first war ever as a nation. And we're introduced to the character of Joshua here for the first time. When Moses tells Joshua, choose some men and go fight. And I feel for Joshua here, because think about it. No one amongst the two million Israelites had ever been in a war before. And he's supposed to go find some people. Hey man, have you known, never been in a war? You, you, You got a sword, pencil, something? We grab it, let's go, we're gonna fight. We got, we got a job to get done. Ill-equipped, ill-informed, probably just plain ill, sick feeling about this battle he's about to lead. And often we feel that same way. Ill-equipped, ill-informed, unable. But we have to remember what the Lord has already done. And the journey of the Israelites reflects the journey of the Christian life. See, at the Red Sea of salvation, God parted the ways for them to come out of slavery, to cross the Red Sea. They did nothing. He parted the sea. All they had to do was believe, believe that he would keep those walls of water open for them to walk through. 
And it's the same for us. God has already provided the way of salvation. All we have to do is believe. Ephesians 2, 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. But that's not the totality of the Christian life. See, because after faith, we fight. After faith, we fight. Romans 8, 13 says, we must put to death the things of the flesh. Ephesians 6 tells us to put on the full armor of God and stand firm against the devil. 1 Timothy 6 says to fight the good fight. After faith, we fight. We get in the arena. And the God is teaching the Israelites something. That the walk from the Red Sea of Salvation to the promised land of blessing, that it's a war. Gather whatever tools you have. Gather whatever strength you have. Let's go into the most epic battle of all time. And maybe this is you this morning. You're willing to believe in God. You're willing to believe that God exists, that, that he created the world, even that maybe he loves you. But you also want the comfortable life. The Sunday afternoon football life, the walks on the beach life, the easy life. And you're doing anything you can to make life easier, less chaotic. And the truth is, that's me a lot of the times. I grumble about my problems and I grumble about the people who create my problems. I complain. But complaining does nothing to win the war. You've got to fight. Fight against your sin nature. Fight against the onslaught of Satan in this world against the weak and lonely. Fight against division. Fight, fight, fight. The first thing we learn here in Exodus from this Israelite battle is that we must get in the fight. Get in the arena. The second thing that this passage teaches us is that we must fight together. We must fight together. Uh, I'd like to ask Pastor Michael um, to come up here. Pastor Michael, you did a great job last Sunday. His first sermon here at Mission Point. Let's give him a round of applause. Well done. Um, that being said, I, ha- I haven't felt like you've been properly initiated. Um, and so I felt like I would take it on myself um, to perform those duties. So thanks for coming up here and helping me out. Um, I'd like you to start by just kind of putting your arms above your head. You told us last week that you, you run a lot, you work out, you know, pretty in shape. So put, okay, good. You got that down. Now let me grab something here for you. I got a couple weights just to make this a little easier. Okay. Um, okay so there's some five pound weights for you. All right. You can put those above your head. Let me see. Got it. Okay. You just stand there and I'm going to keep preaching. <laughs> So we see in our passage in verse 10 that Moses and his brother Aaron and a guy named Hur went on top of a hill with the staff of Moses. The staff of Moses was likely about 10 pounds. And during that battle, as long as Moses held his hands above his head, the Israelites won. But as soon as his hands came down, the Amalekites won. So let's win, lose, win, lose. Yep, you got it down. Okay. Um, Now I sympathize with Moses here, right? This is an important task. Literally, he has the lives of the Israelites, depending on whether he can hold the staff above his head or not. His people's victory or loss depends upon him, but he was wise. He brought along some helpers, Aaron and her. Okay, do I got Aaron and her back here? Come on out, Aaron and her. All right, here we go. All right, good. Thank you. 
Okay, so I got Aaron and her right here. Um, I've got Aaron, uh, Moses' brother, who apparently got all the hair follicles in the family. Um, And uh, and he's been with them ever since the beginning, since since that time with Pharaoh in Egypt. And then and then we have her. And we don't know much about her in the scriptures, so I just assumed that he was probably a really strong guy. Maybe he played guitar in the Israelite worship band or something like that. Um, so he brought her with him as well. And these are the two that come up here. And have you ever felt like Moses before, who's probably hurting right now in the shoulders? You're, you're wondering, how much longer can I hold this weight? Just the normal life stuff, the bills, marriage, parenting, a job, just the normal stuff of life. But, but then you've got the battles, the marriages that are falling apart, the singleness that seems to last forever, the financial burdens that keep, keep building up, the, the child that's running away from the Lord. And those battles are making you weary. You push through another week. You push through another treatment. You push through another difficult parenting day. But it's a lot. And you need some help. And so we're told that Aaron and her first get a rock. And they give him a rock to sit on. I feel a little bit better? Okay. And then they reach, grab an arm. And they actually hold the weight up for him. And what I love in this passage is that Moses doesn't ask for help. We don't see Moses say, hey, can you guys get me a rock? Or can you guys uh, hold up my arms for me a while? No, they just do it. They see a need and they say, hey, here's a rock to sit on. Can we hold up your arms for you? And sometimes in our life, we are Moses. And sometimes in our lives, we need to be Aaron and her. But this is us. This is the church. We're either out on the front lines with Joshua with our swords and our pencils doing what we can to fight the battle or or sometimes we're the leader holding a heavy weight and sometimes we're Aaron and her who just come alongside and help hold up the arms for a while. But this is us. We can go a little bit farther, a little bit longer. And here's the truth. If we carry the weight alone, we will fail. If we carry the weight alone, we will fail. And maybe you're like Moses and you just need a little bit of help. We've been talking in this series about how it's okay to not be okay. You don't have to be strong enough. You don't have to carry the weight on your own. God has given us himself and he's given us one another. I'm thankful for the Aaron and hers in my life. Some of you know this last year, I became the president of Grace College and Seminary, a job that is way bigger than me. Being a husband and a dad and now taking this on and it's overbearing at times, more than I can carry. One of my friends early on encouraged me, find yourself some Aaron and hers. And so I developed what I have called a personal board of directors, uh, men and women who have asked to come alongside me in different arenas of life. My wife, Stephanie, she's the chair of the board, um, and uh, she's the one that provides me wisdom and encouragement and insight. She's the wisest person I know. Matt, his job is to help me stay healthy. He gives me advice on what I can do to work out or eat right. Tim is my accountability partner to encourage me towards character growth. Jessica has provided me informal counseling. Bill has carried the weight of the presidency before, and now he's my encourager. Ron's my coach. We meet monthly to talk about difficult decisions. Walter provides me insight on matters of theological and cultural significance. Because I can promise you this. 
If I tried to carry the weight on my own, I would fail. This is a war. I cannot do it by myself and neither can you. And that's why we have the church. If you're not a part of a missional community, I'd encourage you, get engaged in a missional community where you have those who can lift up your arms and give you a rock to sit on once in a while. We have trained Stephen's ministers in our midst. Those who want to come alongside and sit with you through your pain and through your grief. Because like Moses, we all need help sometimes. We all need prayer. We all need support. But sometimes we need to be an Aaron and her for others. What do you see around you? Don't wait to be asked. What need do you see around you that you can fulfill? Just do something when the spirit urges, act. Maybe it's just a prayer. Maybe it's a text of encouragement. Maybe it's spending time with a mom who's overwhelmed. Maybe it's giving out of the much you have to those in need. Maybe it's asking how you can get involved with mission point kids. Don't wait to be asked. Go and do something. Be an Aaron and her. Because here's the truth. Everyone around us in this room is hurting in some way. And you have something to give that they need. This is what the church is supposed to be. Fighting together for each other's hearts. Fighting together for holiness. And fighting for those most vulnerable around us. We must fight And we must fight together. All right, let's give it up for these guys. Thank you so much for your help. Might want to do one of these, Michael. Just kind of, yeah, okay, good. He's as strong as he said he was, so I believe him now. Well done, Michael. We must fight. We must fight together. And the third thing from this passage, we must fight together Knowing the Lord will prevail. This is good news. Uh, My wife and I have been teaching in MP Kids. And in, in MP Kids, we've been going through the book of Revelation. And last week, we got to be with the kids while we talked through Revelation 19 through 22. And can I tell you what we learned last week with the kids? He wins! He wins! Jesus is one day coming back to make all the wrong things right. And we will join Jesus in heaven and we'll proclaim the name of God over and over and over again. Praise the Lord. And this victory, the Lord's victory, that one day will happen in the future is foreshadowed for us here in Exodus 17. We read in verses 13 through 16 this. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. And we might be tempted here to say, nice work, Joshua, but wait. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. The victory is the Lord's. 
And in verse 15, we read that a new name for God is given, one that has never been in scriptures before. The Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nisi in the Hebrew. Why would Moses name this altar and give God a new name? Why? Because this is the first battle and this is the first victory. And what do we use banners for? We use them to celebrate. We use them to celebrate birthdays. We use them to celebrate victories and put them in gymnasiums like the one Grace got earlier this week. Just want to throw that in there again. And here is Moses honoring God for the victory and taking a little victory lap with God. He was creating a place of remembrance, a celebration of victory, an expression of thanks. But there's another reason that we put up banners. Yes, to celebrate, yes, to honor, but banners are visible. Moses is building an altar and he's calling it the Lord is my banner to ensure that all of Israel knew this, that God is the victor. And for Joseph to remember that God is the victor because Joseph one day would be the one to lead them into that promised land, into that battle of Jericho. And Joseph foreshadowed an even greater battle because do you know what the name Jesus means? It's the same as the name Joseph. A foreshadowing of the Christ to come, the one who would fight the battle for us. Because the battle belongs to God. Yes, we're in the fight. Yes, we're in the fight together. But the battle belongs to God. This is his war. This is his war for our heart. This is his war for our peace. This is his war for justice. This is his war for righteousness. His war for patience. His war for holiness. This is his war. And let me ask you this. How would someone fight if they knew they were gonna win the war? How would someone fight if they already knew they were gonna win the war? If you knew the war for your soul would be won, the war for your heart would be won, the war for your mind would be won, what would those battles look like? If you knew the Lord would provide the patience you needed today to care for those kids, how much more could you enjoy them? If you knew the Lord was going to provide for your every need, how much more generous could you be? If you knew the Lord would give you the strength you need for those overwhelming temptations, how much harder could you fight? How much longer could you hold that weight above your head if you knew the victory had been won? And not only has the Lord already secured the victory, but he's given you others around to help. How much more peace could you have in those internal battles if you knew there were those around you ready to help? How many more health struggles could you face knowing there are those who want to lead you to joy? How many more people could you forgive? We must fight. And God has given us each other. And so we fight together. But the spoils go to the victor. And he is the victor. He has prevailed over the Amalekites, yes. But this passage says that he will keep fighting for generations and generations. And he did that for the Israelites. He fought for generations and generations. And he does that for us. He will fight for us now and into the future. And he has secured the ultimate victory through Jesus Christ, who has prevailed over our two greatest enemies, sin and death. 
And just like Moses lifted up that staff, that wooden staff above his head, all the way to sunset, Jesus Christ was lifted up high on that wooden cross. And on that cross, he defeated our greatest enemy, sin. And then he was put into the grave and he defeated our other greatest enemy, death. The victory has been won. And so we fight knowing that the victory has been accomplished. At the beginning of this series and at the beginning of this sermon today, we said this, that whatever controls your mind, controls your decisions, your direction, and ultimately your destination. And this is a very true statement. But if Christ is your savior, your ultimate destination is already secure. The victory is already won. So fight. Fight together, but fight with confidence and hope that the victory is already yours. And so what would it look like for you to be in the fight? Maybe for you, this is a first time decision to just join the team, to follow Jesus, to to put your faith in him and trust in him. Maybe for you, it's time to get off the sidelines. Stop being a sideline Christian and time to get in the arena. Maybe for you, it's time to be a Moses and say, I I need help. I have something to confess. I I have something too hard for me to bear. I, I need some help. Maybe for you, it's being an Aaron or her and and looking for ways and actually acting on what the spirit is telling you to do. What does it look like for you to get into the most epic, awesome battle ever? Knowing full well that the victory is secure. Lord God, we thank you that you are strong and mighty to save. Lord, that your banner of love is over us always that you care for us, that you want what is best for us, and that you have won the battle. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who for our sake gave up his place in heaven to come here to earth to be lowly and to defeat sin and Satan. God, I pray that you would help us to fight the good fight. I'm sure many in this room like me are at times weary, heavy laden, We become burdensome, recognizing our own weaknesses, inability to carry the weight that you've given us. We ask that you'd surround us with those that can help us carry that weight. We pray that we would be that for others, that we'd look for ways where our gifts can meet their needs. God, we wanna bring you ultimate glory. We wanna fly your banner high, knowing that you have won the battle. We love you. Amen.